Hello, everyone, and happy Sunday. I am recording this intro from Asheville, North Carolina. You may hear my friend cleaning in the back. Hi, Denicio. <laughs> you may hear the washing machine going. This is a full-on, easeful girls vacation situation. So this episode coming up is a really special one. I sat down with Corey Allen and we talked about my self-healing journey, meditation, breath work, writing to heal, and everything else in between. And I hope you enjoy it. If you want to hear the full episode, which I highly suggest you listen to, uh, you can head over to his podcast and that will be linked in the episode notes. I hope y'all have been doing well and sending you so much love this Sunday. Take care. Hi, I'm Alex L and I write books for a living. The Hey Girl podcast was created with sisterhood and storytelling in mind. Hey girl. Hey girl. Hey girl. Hey girl. Join us as we journey through sharing together. One of the things that I love that I've seen you point out before is that you know you've been doing the work that you're doing on on self healing and so forth for a long time, but that still you find moments where you feel overwhelmed and you find that your clarity is challenged. And I think that's such a crucial point because people sort of tend to get this fictitious idea that there is an, an ending spot or a finish line where kind of the stuff of life no longer affects them. Uh, anymore. And of course, that's just not the case. And so I'm curious if you could just speak to and share to the moments, really particularly how those moments, those difficult moments have changed from whenever mm -hmm. you started becoming kind of conscious that they were happening to now to where they're still happening, but you have a huge toolkit to work with them when they happen. And, I, and perhaps just showing the disparity and the shift between those two could be rather uh, insightful to people. Well, I think you nailed it. You said exactly what I was going to say, which is my toolkit looks different. And so it's not that I have it all figured out now. <laughs> it's not that I am you know, done with my healing journey, but it's that when things get hard in healing and when I feel lost in my past, what can I pull out of my emotional toolbox is what my therapist called it years ago and what I still call it now, what can I pull out of it, you know, to work through whatever feelings or healing or hurt or past or triggers that are coming up. And there is no endpoint ever. I always say to my clients and my students and in my books, like healing is a forever thing. It's a forever love. And when I started looking at it as this, daily practice versus this place to get to, a lot of things changed. A lot of how I looked at becoming who I wanted to be changed. And it allowed me to really give myself grace and understanding and uh, self-compassion. And it also made room for me to explore like what I need and what I want in my different phases of healing and hurting. Because I think we avoid <laughs> knowing mm. that a part of life is pain and grief and a part of life is healing and moving through. And so when we're able to hold both the duality of both things and the trust that this and that can be true, 
we can start looking at our healing and our self-care practices and our relationships and our work and life in a more expansive and curious way. And that's what I do. And it's not always easy, but it's absolutely necessary because I know now as a student of life that some things will always hurt and I can still heal through the pain points. You brought up something, I think, you know, nuance that is a wonderful way to look at the big picture of life. And you, you mentioning that just there is general suffering in life and which is of course true and that it's constant, you know, and that there will always be things you know, rising and falling of these different uh, forms and, and levels and kinds of, of pain and suffering that we experience just, you know, from the fact of being a alive animal on this planet, <laughs> it's going to mm-hmm. happen mm-hmm. and it's constant. And so, why would we not, to create the polar opposite of that or the balance of that, have a constant series of self-care practices to match the constant suffering of living? You know, it's such a beautiful way to look at it because I think that from my perception, people look at like healing in that way as like almost in a medical way where they, oh, here's an yeah. acute injury. I'm going to get it addressed and then I don't have to go to the doctor for nine months. Oh, I'm injured again. Let's you know, patch it up and I'll go back. But instead of like looking at as no, it's a landscape. Yeah. And I think too, how I look at it as well is like healing invites us to pay attention. And even if we've healed something in the past, right, a physical injury or a mental or emotional one, there still may be moments when that thing aches. For example, a knife fell on my foot a few years ago and I have a deep scar on my foot and it got stitched up. You know, it's fine now, but there are moments when it still kind of throbs. Like if I wear the wrong shoes or if the weather is weird and like, or too cold or something like, Oh, there's that scar on my foot from when I dropped that knife on my foot. So yes, it's healed, but it still can be really tender So I like to think of my healing in the mental space like that too. Like there are things that have happened in my past that I I think that I'm healed from, but then there could be something that comes up that triggers that tenderness or that pain point. And that's when I'm like, okay, what can I do to ease this triggering tenderness? And how can I show up for myself? So in the physical part of things. Like when my foot starts aching, I sit down, I rest, you know, I put it up, I massage it, I give it care and attention, you know? And so when I'm having an emotionally tender moment, I do the same thing. I lay down, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I, I hug myself, I put some essential oils in my diffuser and I take a deep breath, or maybe I'll go for a walk, or maybe I'll just sit still. And so it's all about how we look at healing and what that means for us and how we self-soothe when there are tender points that come up when we think we've healed from something already. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a really wise and clearly lived experience that you just shared. And I think that it's something that, you know, we can get tripped up on sometimes because if we have kind of a breakthrough, it feels like, okay, cool, I'm done with that, moving on. And it's confusing whenever something from a year or 10 years or 20 years ago shows up Mm -hmm. again. It's like, what? I thought I was, I'd processed this so long ago. And I, I think about it like, um, if you if you have a house with let's say you know, brick walls and you burst through one of those walls, there's a hole, but there's still some kind of bricks around the edge that haven't come down yet. And so you're like, cool, I burst through that, and then later you break through something else, perhaps the the wall that's connected to that. Now you've broken mm-hmm. through something else, and the breakthrough of that then causes the kind of architectural integrity of that whole side of the house to fall down thank you yeah and and it all comes back and so it's like it's it's so fascinating how the non-linearity of the processes really connect to these different points that still have some of that remaining stuff it's really a um i think useful useful way to look at it and you articulated it beautifully yeah so going through changes in changing out of our conditioned behaviors and the conditioned way that we think about ourselves why do you think that people fear change without really knowing what's on the other side of it? And I know that sounds kind of counterintuitive, but that's, you know, one could say that, well, people fear change because they don't know what's on the other side of it, right? But I think if one digs a little deeper, you can see that it's a person already, that's apparent, right? And so why would someone fear something without really knowing what would come next? And how might they be able to build up some confidence to, make those changes and kind of trust a more organic uh, form of moving into something else? Hmm. For me personally, it's been choosing to change and not being scared of what's going to greet me on the other side. And I was a big scaredy cat for years. I was terrified to, to face myself, to face my fears, to do anything different than what I had been doing. But I knew that was going to be the only way I would start seeing results in my healing practice and in my healing work and in my life. And so for me, it really just comes down to committing to make the choice to change and to not let our fear talk us out of the abundance that's on the other side. Because essentially, I find that when we lean into change, it gives us this amazing blessing of new opportunities to stay present, to stay mindful, to stay alive, and to stay connected to ourselves. And I'm a big believer in choice, especially as someone who didn't feel like they had a choice for so long. So trusting that I have a choice and choosing to lean into change has really just supported me in a whole new way. It took a long time, but it's definitely, you know, more comfortable now than it (laughs) was before, but it can still be really uncomfortable. And the fact that I don't think change is supposed to be this sweet, easy thing. I think, I think it is supposed to challenge us a little bit Yeah, or a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. So, you know, you mentioned kind of having this, moment where you choose to change Mm -hmm. and that, you know, there's some courage or maybe just kind of hitting a a place of exhaustion, you know, or whatever it might be that can be the impetus for that choice. What generally for you are the few steps before that, that lead up to 
that moment where you make the choice? Oh my gosh. There's a lot of trying to, to be honest, (laughs) there's a lot of trying to like talk myself out of the change that's coming. Mm -hmm. It's like, do you really want to do that? Are you really ready to do that? Like just questioning myself. And ultimately that inner dialogue leads me to making the choice. Um, because, you know, and, and as a writer too, I also put everything down on the page. So I'm like, okay, let me weigh my options here. (laughs) If I choose to stay the same, what will I get? And if I choose to change, what will I get? And really looking at it on a very micro level, back to basics, getting curious about what I know and what I don't know. And so it's a lot of inner dialogue. It's a lot of self-reflection and then ultimately making the decision. And sometimes I don't make the best, I don't want to say the, the right choice, but sometimes I have to adjust the choice that I made, right? So it's not linear. It's in flow and, and ever moving and growing. And so I think that's a part of life is like trying to figure out through our choices and through the changes and through the healing, what works and what doesn't for us in our specific experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wonderful. So in the same area of change, you know, I think that one of the things I've heard you touch on, which is beautiful, is recognizing who in your life is holding you back or anchoring Mm. you or keeping you, you know, amongst an ecosystem that is not healthy in, in really who you are anymore, particularly after the last couple of years. How would you suggest someone, you know, recognize those people and then actually be able to let go of those relationships, you know, for the greater good, not only in a physical way, but in an emotional and intellectual way as well. That's a big question, and it's so different for everyone. So what I normally tell people that I work with and I'm teaching is that only you know when you're ready to part ways with someone or something. And this can be really challenging because boundaries are hard. Letting go and releasing and stepping away is hard. But the question that I want to leave people with is what's harder, holding on and trying to force something that clearly doesn't fit or letting go and learning how to move through the world in a way that's slightly different than it was before. And I also want to note that deciding to part ways with someone or something doesn't mean you hate it or them. It doesn't mean that you don't love them or want the best for it or them. It just means right now we are at a crossroads and we're in a completely different phases. And I, I have to let it go or I have to let you go. And I can love you from a distance, especially when it comes to relationships and familial relationships too. It's super challenging, right? To like release that toxic relationship that you have with your mother or that you have with your sibling or, you know, a grandparent, like no one wants to say, you know what, I'm, I'm done. But there will be a moment, there could be 
moments where you have to look at your relationships and ask, how much longer am I going to do this with them? How much longer am I going to continue to stay stuck in cycles that are not serving me or them, right? It's not this selfish decision to completely, you know, step away from someone. Most of the time, it's unhealthy on both ways, even if we don't intend for it to be. It could be as simple as enabling. It can be, you know, as deep as like a parent not honoring your boundaries when it comes to how you take care of your kids. Like there's so many different things, but that's not the only thing. It's a bunch of other instances and experiences that have led up to the thing where it's like, oh, I have to change and shift and let this thing or this person go. And that takes a lot of self-reflection. It takes a lot of courage and it takes a lot of time to get to a place where you can part ways in compassion and grace and love, especially if things are tumultuous. I would, I would encourage you, I would encourage you even more to lean into compassion, grace, and love, because that is when you're really going to need it too. So yeah, I think that's what I would say to that. Yeah. How about you? What are your thoughts there? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you really nailed a lot of the really crucial points. And um, I think just as far as highlighting one of the things you said that is so important is the, just the positioning your point of view on what's actually happening is that it's not a setting boundaries with someone who is who seems toxic to you is not an act of aggression it's not an act of resentment it can't be it has to be an act of love for you and for them because you're you're actually when you put up a boundary with someone especially a family member you're actually protecting them as well at the same mm-hmm. time as you're protecting mm-hmm. yourself and the key is even though it can be difficult and the key to doing it gracefully is to do it through uh, love, as you said, and without any resentment. Because then if you put up this wall and then you're like, okay, I've shut them off and you're still resenting them, then mm-hmm. you're not separate from them. And as a form of kindness, as, as opposed to a punishment, is just so important for the individual. Mm. Agreed. So you bring up parents. So <laughs> do you do you think that like, you know, self-love issues, do you think those often come from just not being loved properly or at all by by parents? I don't want to speak generally because as we know everyone is different. But for me personally, yes. That's exactly where my self-love deficit stemmed from. And I talk about this in my book, After the Rain, my relationship with my mother. There's actually a chapter called Self-Love and it's about me and my mom's relationship. And it's, it's interesting because when we have parents who don't love themselves, it's very difficult for them to love us And in my case, that's exactly what it was. Also, I think it's really important to understand that everyone doesn't have the tools to be a parent. We learn as we go. And sometimes 
there is so much emotional trauma and baggage that our parents carry that they are unable to see past themselves, let alone to love past themselves. And I do think that that is the truth for a lot of people. I wish it wasn't so, but I also have friends and people, and I'm mothering my kids very differently than how I was mothered, right? So my kids are going to know what a loving mother not only looks like, but sounds like and feels like. I have friends who are raised in very loving homes with very loving parents. So of course it's not everyone, but for the folks that I've spoken to who have a similar story as I, it almost always stems from the lack of self-love in the parent. And it's pretty deep and intense and really sad, but it also showed me that I can change my narrative by loving myself and I can lead by example for my girls. Thanks for listening to the show today. Please rate, subscribe, and review. Also, feel free to share with a friend. We love having our community grow. Music is by DC's own Kokai. The Hey Girl podcast is produced by Wayne Bertram and me, Alex L.